0: Hello and welcome once again. This is On Mike with Jordan Rich, where creative conversation is alive and well with people who have something to say and people who know how to write. In this case, short stories. I'm thrilled to welcome to the podcast Michael J. Atwood, who's had several short story collections published. History of Santa Monica Stories is the first, and he published a follow-up in 2016, History of Santa Monica Two more stories. And the local high school English teacher has a new one out called Delirium Fades. If you're a fan of film noir with a touch of the Twilight Zone, you will love this book. Michael's written for a number of publications, including the Boston Globe, and rumor has it he's currently working on his first novel. So we meet the artist who specializes in telling great stories in short bites, a very entertaining writer, and a super guy, as we welcome him to join us on Mike. So nice to have you back.
1: Thanks, Jordan. Good to be back. Yeah, it was about, uh, I think, 2010, 2011, that range, so it's, it's been a few
0: years. Well, nothing like uh, taking a little break here and there and writing <laughs> up another great collection of short stories. So before we get into the latest project, which I love, let's talk a little bit about what life is like for a big-time short story writer. You're also a teacher.
1: Right, yes. Yeah, so I've, I've been at uh, New Bedford High School going into my seventh year. Um, I, you know, I taught a little bit in the suburbs. And uh, then I went to the city, and I love New Bedford. I'm teaching AP literature and AP language. Um, so I'm dealing with the fiction every day. In the AP literature class, we do everything from uh, drama to novels, short stories, all of it. And, um, and the kids work on literary analysis, and I'll tell you a lot of the material that I'm doing in that class. And from what I studied at Boston College and USC and my own uh, background with literature ties into my short stories quite a
0: bit, so. Well, the kids are lucky to have somebody who's not only teaching them, but who's doing it at the same time. That's a that's a real gift for them, I would imagine.
1: Oh yeah, and and a lot of my students are interested. We don't do a lot of my material in class, but they're always, you know, a student will come in and they purchased the short story collection, History of Santa Monica was the first one. And then I did a second, um, you know, uh, volume of those short stories. And then the latest one, Delirium Fades, Kids will show up and say, "Hey, Mr. Atwood, can you autograph this?" And you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't use my position to to sell books, but um, I've had parents read it, and, you know, uh, come back and give me feedback, and you know, they they sincerely enjoyed you know the writing, and um, that's that's what I'm out to do—to entertain the readers, and, and they they really like it, so.
0: I want to talk about these stories specifically, and then I want to talk to you about the structure of short story writing that uh, can be really effective you do it as well as anybody. So Delirium Fades, there's a reason that title matters, because delirium shows up in every story to a certain extent.
1: Right, right. I think, I think over the last decade, um, you know, I, I we've certainly shared a, an affinity for James Joyce um, as a short story writer and, and novelist. Uh, we've spoken about him in the past, but... Right. Um, he was he was really big on uh, you know the language that I took in high school was was Latin. I, I took Spanish for a couple of years, but I really get into Latin. And Joyce, uh, coming from his Irish background, and, and I'm sure the Jesuits taught him, you know, to to speak Latin in his schooling days. And then he rebelled against all of that, including the church. And hmm. you know, delirium popped up a lot in the, the collection Dubliners. And you know. That collection seems it's showing up more and more as I read, um, continue my reading through the canon of literature. And then I start to see TV series, even on Netflix and Hulu. And, um, you know, they tie in this whole idea of that kind of um, a morally ambiguous character who gets caught up in some sort of delirium, some sort of scheme, whether it's uh, a crime, usually. Um, or it's, it's just something in life that they become obsessed about and they get caught up in that delirium, love addiction. Um, and then, and then it all goes wrong. You know, it starts off a certain way and, you know, of course I'm thinking of like a Breaking Bad, that type of series Mm -hmm. or, um, much of Dennis Lehane. I'm a big fan of Dennis Lehane. Um, a lot of what shows up in those stories, um, the character starts off like on the seemingly has this I, this this romanticized uh, delirious state, and they go down a path, and then they just you know it all goes wrong, and their life gets flipped up um, upside down. So that's that's really where the thread came from, and the stu- the content's original. It's it's not about anything that I've mentioned here. It's um, you know a series of stories w- in different settings, and each character is in their own state of delirium. Uh, to the point where a friend of mine said, I think you've repeated that word uh, 45 times in the collection.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I ended up counting it, actually, as I got about five stories in, and I thought it was really fun. As a a reader, I like to have fun, even if it's a story that's rather serious. Mike, uh, let's focus on a few of these, because they're really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one that I love, because I'm a um, history nut, and I also love period pieces— was the guy who comes back from D-Day, World War II. It says a lot about identity and about who we pretend to be, but uh, share with us the, the basic outline of that story.
1: The character, we enter um, the story. It's in Boston in the uh, uh, 1950s, and uh, he comes out of an elevator. He, he's a, he's a, a bank vice president, and he spots a woman from his past, and um, she's she's come from far away. She's foreign. And she ends up, um, you know, following him around Boston, and he's he's just trying to escape um, her pursuit. And as we peel the layers back, we learn that he was um, over and over, um, you know, landed in in France on D Day, and uh, ended up stealing an identity from um, a more um, decorated officer. Mm, Right. And and then fell in love with this this girl who was uh, French. And then ended up abandoning her. Um, there's there's some other layers to the story where we find out later that she's involved with uh, a you know spying and things like that on the Nazi side. But anyway, she's back for redemption. She follows him back to Boston, tracks him down about 15 years later, and because uh, she was younger yeah. then. And um, it, it it's really him trying to escape her wrath, um, and it leads to some. He has to reveal his identity to his wife, and he gets kind of backed into a corner, and yeah. um, you know, basically has to uh,
0: to kill. It's very much thematically consistent with the other stories in that people are backed into that corner you talk about, and and in some cases they make some pretty rash and difficult decisions that affect them and the people around them. Uh, there's that one story about the police officer dealing with something, and and this is. Plucked from the headlines, a local priest, a parish priest that's a favorite of a lot of people, and it turns out he's got a rather sordid past and a sordid history as well. Interesting. In a short story, you can have so much going on, so much angst, and so much moral decision making in just uh, ten or twelve pages. That's pretty impressive.
1: Right. That one's called the collection. Uh, the first one you referred to was called A Wall. Um, yeah, and it's it's uh, you know, and I had fun with that one because. The piece started out where you know um, they were in a bar and a priest was talking to this this gentleman, and then there's a break in the story. He confesses the the, the priest confesses that he's been stealing money from the church and that he's being blackmailed by a, you know one of the parishioners. And um, there's a shift, you know, in this second turn of the story. Um, and he pulled up to the house in his police cruiser. I didn't reveal at the beginning of the story <laughs> that he was actually a police officer. And you know, if you go back and read. You know, some of, the, some of the language, you can kind of see that I was, um, you know, the priest was aware of it, of course. He was confessing to him to help, looking for help. And, um, and then, you know, uh, we run into the situation where the priest is blackmailed and, by another parishioner, and uh, he disappears. And then the um, part of the crime lands, you know, basically the, the, the police officer is then accused of, of doing some things and being involved with the priest's scheme. And he has to sort it all out, and of course he gets suspended from the force, and has to has to solve the crime from from the outside in. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun writing that. Yeah, story. The, These are all fun to write, you know.
0: They're fun to read, and there's a, a <laughs> yeah. film noir sort of sense about them too. So you yeah. must you must be a fan of that stuff, the Elmore Leonard style of storytelling.
1: Oh yeah, Elmore Leonard, I, I definitely you know, and and some of the more modern. You know a guy like Christopher Nolan, uh-huh. um, who ended up doing Memento, and but some of his earlier films like uh, Following, uh, which was set in London. Um, you know, a guy was going around London watching people, and then he, he he watches the wrong person, and then he gets you know caught in this web of the guys robbing houses, and he gets pulled into this crime and right. they use him, and you know it's it's the same formula um, that we've seen. You know, uh, Dashiell Hammett. Um, you know, um, so. Humphrey Bogart would be, you know, he's he's in my mind all the time, or or Don Draper, you know, that 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 um, you know, that figure from the 30s, 40s, and 50s uh, wearing the raincoat and is is a detective, or or maybe is you know um, a double indemnity kind of is, is, is a thing right.
0: that I always think about when I write too. Right, Fred McMurray in that one. Um, yeah. you're a self-described teacher. We talked about that, and there's one story in which a teacher is. Being hunted by snipers, by killers, and there's a whole right. lot more to the story. Uh, was that just fantasy? Uh, did you have somebody in mind, or <laughs> your 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 yeah, bunk mate And you know,
1: I just you know, um, <laughs> it, it, the problem is is that we. I'm a, I, I'm a person that loves literature and short stories and reading, but I also love film. And uh, what was it? Gross Point Blank. You know, the hitman goes to his college reunion. The, 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 the you don't end up you have these stories kind of floating around the back of your mind and you head a different direction but that one was he was obviously using the english teacher cover um but he was truly a worldwide assassin and the russians came to get him over you know and it it leads to again he he was um you know being pursued by some international figures and it turns into this whole born identity story um not just you know the plain old english teacher right, but right. you know it's um I just, I just was having fun. I, I love, I just, I just am intrigued. I, I would never do it, but it just seems like um, people these days. Um, you, you hear about these stories, people changing identities, and uh, you, know, uh, pu- you know, pulling off these crimes or capers, and it's not that they're, they're not who they appear to be.
0: Well, and, uh, I, I have a lot. I if you that. take a look at the latest series of true crime documentaries on, say, Netflix or Hulu or any of these networks. Mm-hmm. These stories seem like they're made up, and yet they're based on truth, and at least what we think is truth. I mean, The Staircase, I don't know if you've seen that. There's now a dramatic version of that oh, yeah, documentary. That's... As Johnny Carson used to say, wild stuff. But that was you're... where the husband pushed the wife down the stairs. Well, allegedly, uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah. it's a crazy thing. But uh, what makes a story work, and I want to delve into this with you, it has to have momentum. It's got to have an arc but again you're doing it in bite-size ways and short ways that a lot of punch to them are you crafting it differently than you would a novella or a novel i assume you are
1: right yeah so i usually uh, i try to come up with the ending first i try to come up with you know what's the ending going to be and then kind of backtrack it um in other cases when i when i start to do my notebook work on a story and and i did a few outlines today, actually came up with three different outlines but um I might have that vision of you know with the English teacher one, um, what, I just I, I'm commuting through Providence, Rhode Island every day, and I'm going across this bridge, and, and you know I probably watched The Born Identity the night before or something like that, but <laughs> just imagine these scenes, you know, and, um, and and you have fun with them because I think uh, you know it, we all have imaginations, but it's it's just it's it's something right out of a film, and then I'm like I'm wondering how I can actually put that down in a in a short story. And how that would look on the page, because um, the visual medium is always there when I write. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just to describe what's going on with it. I think it's it's a, it's a real skill if you can do that. If you can describe an action scene, some of those writers are uh, are the best writers out there who can take it. You know, from from they're they're basically screenwriters putting it into a short story or uh, things like that. But I do I do try to know where it ends so I can do things earlier in
0: the story that make sense, you know? Um, uh, yeah. A good short so, story, though, has to have, in my view, a jump cut. It's got to have a reason mm-hmm. for you going, oh, my gosh. I've, have you ever read Joe Hill's work, uh, Stephen King's son, 20th Century I, Ghost? No, I haven't. No, his
1: son, okay,
0: yeah. Apple doesn't fall far, as they say, but that's a jump cut on every story. It's like, holy crap, What I didn't see that coming. And I, I've got to give right. you credit because uh, so many of the stories have these tricky endings that you didn't see in advance coming as the reader. And I love that. That's what challenges me.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, someone commented on the first story, that the mean character. I don't want to give too much away, but they were surprised that he, he did certain things, you know, that were extreme. You know, I, I couldn't, I didn't see that coming. And I do love that when, um, you know, maybe when I was, I, maybe I didn't fully work out the ending and, and I just had a twist there and I didn't realize that was going to happen until I wrote it. Um, and that's the fun thing about drafting. You can, When you do a first draft, you can go any direction you want, and see what sticks. And, um, you know, um played a lot of music when I was younger. And I think some of the best stuff we, we took risks with and tried different things and, and different sounds come out. Um, and I try to do that with my writing, too, to, you know, throw a little curveball or have a twist in there and, and see see if it sticks, if it works, you know. <laughs>
0: I want to get back to the title for a second because we've talked a lot about the word delirium why delirium fades
1: well i think um you know i with my students we always talk about literature you know it's 5 to midnight when the when the uh, story uh starts and then the clocks where the the characters in crisis mm-hmm. and that clock's going to strike 12 and from there it's a downward spiral and that's that's really like the fading part of it is i see um you know it's um this this guy was enjoying this vice presidency of a bank, and that this woman showed up, and it was going to be over. The guy finds the the briefcase. Um,
0: oh yeah, uh, I was going to ask yeah, you that, about that, that one. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, so he found a briefcase on a on a, a train in in London, and um, I think I called it the briefcase. Yeah, uh, I have to remember my titles. But he uh, once he picks it up, it's all over. It's it's that Cormac McCarthy, um, No Country for Old Men where he knows when he steals the money at the uh the drug shootout where everyone's dead. He shakes his head. He knows what's gonna happen. He knows who's gonna follow him. He's not a these characters um can see ahead but, you know, that delirium's not you know, it seems a good idea to take that million dollars or whatever was in that, that suitcase. But he knows that the drug cartel is going to be coming after him, and boy, they did.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, the, uh, th- that was <laughs> a great story, and I uh, I remember uh, thinking about not only drugs and money, but explosives and things. That there's danger when when it's too good to be true. That's the basic premise. A lot oh, yeah. of uh, you must be a Twilight Zone fan, are you?
1: Oh, I love, and uh, you know it's it's. Uh, I guess child uh, would be Black Mirror, which came out on Netflix. Right, uh, it's, right. It's more of a futurist, but I love The Twilight Zone, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the little kid, wherever the adults are being nice to him all the time, and you're trying to figure out why these why these adults are all
0: right. Know, Billy, so kind to the <laughs> Billy Moomy, of course, as the little kid uh, who's yeah. now my age, and uh, sending parents to the cornfield. Yeah, that's right. Right, so and... be
1: careful. Be nice to the little boy.
0: That's so, true. I, I
1: just... Yeah, and I'm a big Ray Bradbury fan. He's another um, writer that I, I certainly loved. you know, I, I took a science fiction class my senior year in high school, and the basketball coach taught it and he uh, he, he blew me away because he was I knew he was a history teacher and I knew he was a basketball coach, but he had an affinity for Bradbury and Vonnegut and all these. You know, I, I love I love science fiction and there there could be an element in every story, a twist. That um, and I tried to do that with the first one with wall At the end, it doesn't appear mm. that any of that happened. <laughs> he died in the war. But um, yeah, so it's uh, it's one of those things where I, I definitely I definitely uh, like to tie in the, the science fiction element as
0: well. Now, Mike, have you looked mm. at these stories and they're your babies? Have you decided that any one of them should grow up to be a big time novel, or would, would that be a whole different uh, set of <laughs> circumstances? It,
1: it's funny that you asked that because I, um, AWOL, I adapted into a 300 page novel already. Um, and I'm working on it. There's, it's, the problem is when you take a a short film and you try to make it a feature, a short story, you make it a novel. It's, can it go the distance for 300 pages? I, I definitely wrote that much, but I want to make sure it's as tight as the short story. So I'm, I'm working on that one. And then, um, Also Diamond Bar, which was the father and son, um, went on the boating expedition. Oh, yes. Found the diamond. Yes. Uh, that one was turned into a screenplay and I've gotten some notes on it from my good friend, uh, Anthony Cipriano out in Hollywood. He's, um, the, the creator of the Bates Motel who happened to go to my high school. Yeah. Wow. So he's, he's a good friend of mine and he's, as you can see, he's written some, um, endorsements and and blurbs for my, for my collection. So, um. Got some notes on that one. So those two, those two went the distance. I'm considering maybe the collection, the one about the priest and the police officer. I think that would be uh, something that I work on too. And, and again, we share a love for Boston, so and Massachusetts. So I, I would like to, if those were adapted, that would be the type of thing where right. I would love to have it it'd be a Mystic River or you know one of those films or the town, you know that type
0: of thing. Well. Um, we, yeah. we talked about Dennis Lehane. You mentioned him, and and boy, yes. that would be an yeah. amazing step forward to follow in his uh, shoes because he's done so much yeah. now with television of all kinds, including Westworld. I mean, he's done all kinds of stuff in terms of writing oh, yeah. and helping the to y line produce. Yeah. yeah, so that yeah. that sounds like you're you're itching to do some of that if they if given the chance.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I did study uh, when I went out to uh, the University of Southern California for my um, master's in professional writing. I um, studied screenwriting. That was my main focus. And I just happened to have a, a great short story, uh, Professor Susan Campo, um, who encouraged me to, hey, she had written collections. I kind of followed in her footsteps. She's always, she's still supporting me to this day as far as feedback and blurb she'll read my she'll actually i'll send her something via email and she'll read it and send back comments so i've been lucky um i am a teacher but i've had teachers and professors who's contributed back to me another guy sid field who um the late sid field uh who wrote all the screen he wrote screenplay uh was one of my professors at usc so i had um many different um comedy uh guys uh shelly berman um who's an old comic oh great mel Shavelson. Um, yeah, so I had some of the, 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 some of the guys from the, uh, the 50s and 60s who did comedy. And uh, Mel Shavelson was the president of the Writers Guild. So it was a great experience at USC to, to be exposed to some of these guys. And then I, we've talked before about George Wendt, who uh, I taught his son. And uh, <laughs> he was the first guy to read my screenplays. And uh, we had a nice relationship. Uh, we, he, you um, would read my screenplays, and I would write a lot of college recommendations for his son. So.
0: It was was a win-win situation. Pro quo. Good for you, man. (laughs) Good for you. It's safe to say that when people discover a writer like Michael, uh, they'll get to like him and want to read more. And it's such an easy way to go about reading in a busy world when you've got short stories and you know, I just finished a story. I can read two more or I can go to bed and read three more tomorrow. That's what makes it uh, really, really fun. Are these on audio for people as well?
1: Uh, We're not there yet. It is is pretty my cousin actually karen willis uh she's she's an author as well um and actually my daughter's english teacher I give her a plug but she uh she she probably uh i think iron and wood is her um latest book she um was giving me the cost of it's quite expensive actually to have someone to to read your and, and i know you're in that uh, business as well but uh it's it's uh you know i think fifteen hundred dollars per like ninety thousand words something like that but she just put out her first audiobook so i the expense part of it you know since i'm pretty much self-funded at this point and um you know, I, I think in the future, maybe if uh, Dennis Lehane calls and we get that screenplay
0: bonus. Yes, 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 yes. Well, it doesn't matter that much to me because uh, I love to read and be lost in a world in, of words that are painting pictures. That's what it's all about, and you do it beautifully. Uh, what's the best way, besides you know, ordering on Amazon, for people to find out more about you and your web address and um, so forth?
1: Yeah, currently, so I, I don't have a website right now. Um, But, um, uh, you know, we are selling the book at An Unlikely Story in Plainville. You know, right now I I do use Amazon as my author page. Michael J. Atwood is where I keep most of my information. Um, But, you know, uh, along with uh, trying to be a famous writer and an English teacher, I have three kids, so uh, (laughs) we're we're paying some Catholic school tuition and getting ready for college. And so um, I I do intend to get a website up this year. Um, I just have kind of relied on, on Amazon, which, which I will say the KDP publishing um, is a great format if any, anybody's out there willing you know, to uh, – it's really not a lot of money to do it, but it's, it's a good way to get your book out there. Um, they've helped me because, as you know, I, my first collection was with Aqueous Books, a small press in Florida, and then they went out of business, so I've continually published the editions that I put out. Um, but I've had to kind of do it myself. So, um, you know, so, uh, if anyone's looking for a writer to pick up on a, a publishing contract, I'm right here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, do you do writing for people, uh, ghosting and so forth if people need a speech written or, uh, I mean, are you a yeah. general practitioner as well when the calls come in? Yes. Uh,
1: Upwork is a site that I'm on, uh. Uh, which, yeah, it's, it's, um, I've, I've, everything from speech proposals to, uh, you know, something for a graduation or, um, you know, ghostwriting, fiction, uh, memoirs, that type of thing, I'm, I'm definitely open to. So,
0: Excellent. I free just all summer. I just, <laughs> of course. Because you're a <laughs> teacher up. and because you're such a, a good artist, I want to conclude with this obvious question. What advice, what words of wisdom for any uh, aspiring young writers who are thinking about doing it and really have a passion? What do you them.
1: Well, I think, you know, a writer writes, that's the, uh, cliche, but it's, it's, um, it's really just trying to sit down every day and, and put some ideas in a notebook. Um, the notebook is important, uh, and that you, you can sketch out. I mean, I know there are a lot of artists out there who have their sketchbooks and if I have an idea, even at school, um, I'll just jot something down on a sticky note in my prep period. I'll, I'll try to outline something quickly. So my advice is to, uh, Start outlining and and get it done. And uh, just just go the distance and write it. To write the 300 pages of that novel I spoke about, um, it might not get published, but, you know, look at the three Mm. collections that I put out. I mean, just just really try to get it down on, on a document or in a notebook, and um, yeah. it'll happen for
0: you. Good for you. It lives forever. That's the beauty of it. It's a terrific legacy for not yeah. only you, but uh, for people who know you They, they, and your students, too. They get a kick out of it. It's really cool to have not only the guy who's teaching us English and composition, but the guy who publishes books. Short stories, terrific collection called Delirium Fades, and I uh, dare say it's my kind of book because it makes one think. It's a little science fiction-y. It's a little uh, film noir. <laughs> it's got all the elements. Yeah. that are very appealing. I just wish you the very best, man. You're such a great guy and doing good work, so keep it up.
1: Jordan, thank you very much, and uh, I followed your career closely, and I do appreciate you having me on here, and um, thanks for your time today.
0: Michael J. Atwood. Do check out his short story collections, especially the new one, Delirium Fades. Our thanks here in the podcast to several people, Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, our publishing arm, to Ken Carberry and the entire team at Chart Productions Boston, where we produce this and many other podcasts, commercials, narrations, and audiobooks. Very busy these days. You can find out more about all this and me at jordanrich.com. And a special thanks to those of you who post ratings and reviews. We're approaching 75,000 independent downloads of this podcast, and it's growing in numbers every week cannot be happier. And thank you. Till next time, this is Jordan saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care.